Hi, my name is Danielle and you're listening to Crime and Mystery Canada. On this podcast, we discuss subjects that might be creepy to some and sometimes even frightening. Some of our episodes will deal with serious subject matter, while others will be more lighthearted. Please keep in mind that I am not an expert on any of the topics I cover, just an interested party, and as always, listener discretion is advised. Hi everyone and welcome back. I'm Danielle. I'm Paul-Emile. And you're listening to Crime and Mystery Canada. So on this week's episode, we went a little bit of a different route. I did not prepare the episode, you did. Yeah, it's a bit different. I think it's the first time actually that you're recording an episode that you didn't prepare. The only other one would have been the Halloween episode where it was a little bit more off the cuff. Right. Yeah, so my podcast is in your hands. All right, well, I'll try and do it justice. So what are we talking about tonight? Well, on tonight's episode, my intention was to discuss some missing New Brunswick children cases. Mm-hmm. Um, these cases are, are fairly recent. Well, actually, one is an ongoing search for a missing child that uh, is happening as we speak. However, due to the recent developments, I think we also need to discuss the discovery of the remains of 215 Indigenous children at a former residential school in British Columbia. You know, it's been in the media. It's been waiting, I think, festering. And it's now it's now out in the open and and uh, anyways we'll talk about it a little bit but uh, it is really a, a sad thing and it's terrible that things need to come to this before uh, the government before the government decides to take some sort of action on it so so on episode 42 which was a two-part story you talked with Susan Levi Peters about the impact of residential schools on First Nations communities and families. Those episodes were released in December 2020. And uh, less than six months later, uh, we're here again. And the story of the abuse, the murder, the cover-up, it continues to develop. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to go into to any great details, but I just felt that it was important that we acknowledge what has been happening since, since then. According to a, a CTV News article on the 31st of May 2021, the Kamloops BC Residential School opened in 1893 and at one time it was the largest school in the country the school was operated right up until 1969 by the catholic church and uh, after that it was taken over by different government agencies and it's just been it's been a mess since the day it opened i guess right now the investigation is continuing and according to CTV, it's complicated by the poor record keeping 
the neglect in keeping reliable numbers about the children who died and where they were buried. I think they basically picked a section on the grounds and any child that died, died is, any child that was killed during their stay at these schools, the family wasn't even informed about it and they just had a specific area where they went and just buried them in this. And it was covered up, the area wasn't marked or anything. And now with the ground penetrating radar, they discovered these 215 bodies. Were they specifically looking for that? I believe they were because uh, we discussed uh, this in other episodes about um, the oral history of First Nations in Canada and how it was passed down from generation to generation. And I don't think the discovery comes as a as a surprise to any of the uh, the indigenous people. They've known all along that these children were missing. But I think that the fact that they've been found just proves that what they've been saying all these years, what the First Nations have been saying is an actual fact. Mm-hmm. So during the interview with uh, CTV, they spoke with Keisha Surpena. She's an anthropologist and the director of Prairie and Indigenous Archaeology in Edmonton, Alberta. So determining the ultimate death toll across the country, according to this report, is really difficult because we haven't uncovered all the remains yet. Mm-hmm. She told CTV that uh, we can anticipate that there are thousands of undiscovered and unmarked graves across Canada. So indigenous groups in Canada are calling for a, a nationwide search for unmarked grave sites at residential schools across the country. A hundred percent. So it seems that approximately 150,000 children across Canada were taken from their families. And that total was placed, I guess, uh, in a total of 139 schools in Canada. So at one point there was 139 residential schools in Canada. And the estimates are that as many as one in five Indigenous children died in these schools. So we're talking about abuse, neglect, uh, mistreatment. I'm sure we've heard and talked about stories of some of them succumbing to the elements as well when they tried to return home. And it goes farther than that. There's even what um, the church, I guess, and uh, the employees and the government were trying to pass off as scientific studies where a part of a group would be not given any milk and another part would be given milk or vitamins or not fed and um, that was supposed to be for scientific advancement but it was it was torture Hmm. and a result of that 
was children dying and the residential schools were just covering it up and you know as far as they were concerned at that time those lies were not important to them i think the work of uncovering the breadth of what has happened is extremely important i think a really honest look at what happened needs to take place i also think that Everything that's happened in the past, we'll just say 10 years, it's been going on much longer than that. All of the programs and the promises and the investigations that were made to First Nations communities, that's like lip service that was being paid to them. And until this is investigated and acknowledged and the missing children honored in a respectful way, there's no opportunity for us to move on in our relationships with First Nations people. And that's something else, like we're talking about this in generalities. There were 215 children that were found. We don't know how many more are out there, but we know that the numbers are probably quite high. But each one of those children was a missing, like we talk about missing people on the podcast all the time, but each one of those children was a missing person to someone. Their child was taken away and put into school, and then they probably never heard anything. So they spent the rest, the parents, the families, spent the rest of their lives not knowing, probably suspecting, but not knowing what had happened to their children. And, And we've talked about this before, how it affects the generation. Susan talked about it. Um, Children, uh, siblings of these children that went missing and the parents and, and, you know, some of them that was their great uncle or great aunt. There's a whole generation that should have been handed down the history and the knowledge of their culture that that was skipped, that was lost. And we're finding now where there are certain traditions that were at a risk of being lost had not somebody stepped in and started teaching people. I think if we were going to talk about missing children in Canada, we couldn't talk about that without discussing this. I agree. And, you know, I've got a a couple of cases that I want to talk about, but we're talking about 215, which is just the tip of the iceberg. So we're moving on to some other missing children in uh, New Brunswick specifically? Yes. um, I just, the reason I decided to talk about missing children uh, in New Brunswick was last week or two weeks ago, there was a post on a group that I'm on that had a short history of six missing children in the province. Uh, some recent, 2017, I think was the most recent they had on that site. And the oldest dates back to 1975, 85 uh, in Moncton. So the first case I want to talk about is Madison Roy Boudreau. Mm-hmm. And Madison is a 14-year-old girl 
from Bathurst in New Brunswick, and she's been missing since May 11th. Uh, Bathurst is not a very big community. As you know, you live there for a short while. Yeah. And uh, it's Bathurst has its own police force. So whenever something happens there and it's a little bit too big of a case for the local police, the town police to handle, they always get the RCMP to help them. But for some reason, and I can't understand why, this case, even though it's getting a lot of attention, as that doesn't seem to have uh, gotten the media coverage that it should have had, being that she's still missing two, four weeks later almost, three weeks later. Right. So, you know, she went missing on May 11th. And her father reported her missing at 11.18 p.m. on that date. And he had last seen her going to school that morning. So after uh, the police spoke with some witnesses in the area, uh, they discovered that she had been seen getting into a, a gray Ford Ranger truck. The police were quick quickly able to identify uh, and find the pickup truck. Now, from what I've read, the person that was driving the truck was not the registered owner. There's all kinds of stories going around about that, but there's nothing that's been confirmed or denied by the police in any of the news conferences they've had. So I'm just going to stick with what the police have said and the rumors well if you want to read the rumors you can find them on social media they're all there the police quickly find the truck and for some reason they decide that they're going to keep surveillance on the residence where the truck is at okay so i don't understand why the moment they found the truck they didn't search that property where the truck was at immediately when the chances of finding her may have been better. But they, rather than move in on the home, they decide to keep, do surveillance on the house. Okay. We move on to May 13th and the Bathurst police arrest a 42-year-old man. Now, his name's in news articles all over. And again, I, I'm choosing not to name him because his arrest is has not been said to be directly involved with the disappearance of Madison. He was arrested because he was charged with failing to comply with the conditions of a court undertaking. So he was like on parole or probation or had something he was supposed to follow. Right. And based on the information the police received that Madison, who was under 18 years old, was seen getting in a vehicle driven by him, he was arrested. So that leads us to speculate that his conditions of release were not to be... Around minors. Exactly. Yeah. Right now, he's still sitting in jail 
and um, nothing has been said as far as what his involvement with Madison's disappearance may be. So we basically don't know if it's directly linked to her disappearance. For, we don't know that for a fact. What we know for a fact was that this 42-year-old man appears to have been driving the pickup truck that Madison was seen getting into. And since Madison was seen in that truck, she has not been heard of or seen again. Okay. So through their, uh, their investigation, the police say that the vehicle may have been seen near a quarry that's at uh, 2100 St. Anne Street in Bathurst. So police and ground search and rescue crews spent days looking for Madison in that area. According to the Bathurst police chief, uh, Stefan Roy, uh, at a news conference, he stated that the area had unpredictable terrain and very thick wooded areas. Uh, one of the things that they criticized the police force about was not issuing an amber alert mm -hmm. and chief roy said that the disappearance did not meet the criteria uh, to issue an amber alert so i went and checked on the rcmp website and according to that site an amber alert can only be issued if police have confirmed that an abduction has taken place the victim is a child or a proven or has a proven physical or mental disability. There is a reason to believe that the victim is in danger of serious physical injury. And that there's information that if broadcast to the public, it could assist in the safe recovery of the victim. So based on what is said there, and the Bathurst police stating in the news conference, and the police have been quite hush-hush about all of this. Uh, there's been a lot of uh, complaints and, and criticism from the community because the community feels the police aren't doing enough and are not releasing enough information about what's going on. So I think what I'm going to talk about next uh, may clarify why, but I also think that by not uh, telling people, and I and I understand. I mean, they are, there's some information they need to keep. Um, I, I think they should put people's mind at ease a little bit that they are working on it. So uh, during a, a news conference, the Bathurst police told, it was with Global News, that they are conducting a criminal investigation into a missing person's report. And as such, we're not at liberty to disclose pertinent information. It sounds like they know something that they're not sharing. Sure. So when Chief Roy was asked what the chances were of bringing Madison home safely, his response was that as a community, they must prepare for bad news. Right. So I think that statement basically says it all. Let's hope it doesn't, but... Right. But we're coming on to four weeks. Yeah. So it does not look well. Today in Bathurst, 
the community held uh, a march for Madison and for the family. And like I mentioned earlier, there's been all kinds of rumors flying around. Their rumors, what I've shared here, are the facts that the police have disclosed. Mm -hmm. And we'll need to wait and see until they actually charge somebody or recover a body. Right. So it sounds like she's missing. She's been missing for almost four weeks. The police are keeping hush-hush and are saying, be prepared for bad news and someone sitting in jail right now has not been charged with anything other than like a breach of conditions. And that area, uh, there's there's um, there's a bay there with water. There's several rivers. Five minutes out of the city, you're in the wild woods, really. Um, you can drive from Bathurst, cross the middle of the province to Grand Falls, uh, Edmonston area, through the woods. So she, the search area is huge. Right. Madison is described as 1.3 meters tall, weighing 54 kilos. She has brown eyes, medium length brown hair. And when she was last seen, she was wearing a gray sweater and camouflage colored pants and silver shoes. Anyone with any information is asked to contact the Bathurst Police Force at 506-548-0420 or as always Crime Stoppers at 1-800-222. 8477. So that's the information that has been released to the media and to the public so far in regards to Madison's disappearance. It's we're used to talking about cases that happen in the past. I find it really hits home to speak about a case that's happening as we record. Right. I know maybe I should keep this for the end, but all these stories, like, and I'm thinking especially with the discovery at the residential school, can really take a toll on, on people's mental health as well. For a lot of people, like you said, it hits home. It's a different emotional toll. A lot of people have ties to those children that were found. So make sure if you are having difficulty coping that you are reaching out for help. There's absolutely no shame in that. It is something that a lot of us are having difficulty with right now. The next missing child is 17-year-old Braden Tebow. And Braden has been missing since July 31st, 2017. Uh, Braden was from the St. Stephen area, but went missing in the Fredericton area. There really isn't a lot of information on this case. It's 2017 is not a long time ago. No. And it appears again that the police have released the minimum information necessary. There's a reason why they're doing that. They know something that they're not telling. Braden 
was last seen on Gibson Street, Fredericton, and also on the north side of Fredericton. So Braden is described as uh, five feet, eight inches tall, and he weighed, weighed approximately 160 pounds. Short brown hair and brown eyes. And on the inside of his left arm, he has a tattoo that reads, trust your struggles. Since he disappeared or went missing, the police say they've been following many leads and they've stated that his disappearance was considered suspicious. Two years later, July 30th, 2019, the New Brunswick RCMP said that his disappearance was being investigated as a homicide. Okay. His body has never been found. They have not said why his disappearance was deemed a homicide. Clearly they know something. Exactly. In August of 2019, the RCMP and the Tri-County Search and Rescue searched an area near the University of Moncton. Okay. They must have had information. So somehow Braden disappears from Fredericton and two years later, there's a search going on in Moncton near the university. That's all the information that was released about that search. Police would not confirm or deny if anything had been found. So for people who aren't familiar with New Brunswick, Fredericton and Moncton are like an hour and a half apart, roughly? Yeah, an hour and a half apart. So uh, Moncton is on the east, uh, southeastern side of the province, and Fredericton is a little more central. So an hour and a half uh, is not that far. And you would have had to have a way to get from Fredericton to here. But police are keeping everything hush-hush. So the latest information that the police have released is they know that there's people out there who know what happened to Brayton. And they're asking anybody with information about his whereabouts or anybody that may have seen him after July 31st to contact the New Brunswick RCMP's major crime unit, 506-452-3491. And the information can also be provided through Crime Stoppers at 1-800-222-8477. And in doing some research on this case, I was not aware of the secure the crime stoppers secure web tips site yeah okay i had never heard about it but it's crimenb.ca so with anybody that has information about this missing child can contact those two sources and pass it along so we're going to finish up as always with our moment of kindness did you have one I actually, I, I do. It's not a big thing, 
uh, it happened today at work where at the end of every day, the employees, we sort of have a debriefing. We've talked before, we work in customer service and there is a lot of customers, a lot of traffic in a short period of time at my workplace. And for the last month or so, people have been really reasonable with respecting uh, the restrictions imposed by the province and different businesses. And so it's been a lot easier to go to work. But today, at the end of the day, we always sit together and debrief on our day. And uh, I started a while back. Each one of us needs to write something positive that happened during the day on a post-it note. And we used to put that up in an office so that if somebody's having a bad day, we can go back and look at all the positive things we've been putting up there. We've since changed that and put it out so the public can see it. Oh, nice. I think sometimes it makes people think. So my moment of kindness is, is a pretty simple thing, but one of my employees simply asked the customer to use the proper entrance to the building. And the customer started to flip out a little bit and get loud. And another customer stepped in and said, do as you're told follow the rules or go home. And at the end of the day, it mattered enough to the employee. And this is, I'm, is a student that I have working with me that's 18 years old. Right. And he was really touched by the fact that a customer defended him and said he felt safer knowing that there are some people that are there that have our back. Mm -hmm. They just haven't had the opportunity to step in and and either protect us or back us or or help us out so it's not a big thing but it meant an awful lot to the employee but you look at that and that was probably like a bad action interaction that he'll remember as something positive instead of something negative right right and i think the putting the emphasis on writing something positive at the end of the day versus before we'd write down something negative so we could discuss a way of avoiding it in the future yeah and that is no longer an issue well thanks to everyone who's been listening you can find us on our facebook group uh just search crime and mystery canada and we're on instagram under the same name or you can write to us at crimeandmysterycanada at gmail.com. Stay safe out there and have a good night. Good night, everybody.